Now let's turn to 2 Kings 17. Reading the, we've read the last half of the chapter, basically, from verses 24 through 41. And this is the story of how the Samaritans came into being. In the New Testament, you read about the Samaritans, and you remember that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were the people that everybody looked down on the most. This is how the Samaritans really come into being as the hated group. And part of the reason that they're hated is because of this passage. Not just because of what it records, but because it is recorded. Because the Jews have Second Kings, or the book of First and Second Kings together. The Jews have this as part of Scripture, and so they read it, and they see what is wrong in Israel, in Samaria. And they're informed what is wrong by passages like this. So we have the king of Assyria bringing people from all over the place. And this is what Assyria did as they conquered the world. As their empire expanded, they had a a policy of yanking out most of the people and putting them somewhere else. And then yanking those people and putting them somewhere else. And and grabbing all of those people and putting them somewhere else. And, And the reason for this was that it was meant to demonstrate their power. And it was meant to keep the... Uh, it was meant to keep the political situation unstable so that their stability could easily rule over the world. Now, the next empire that came along said, you know what, that didn't work out too well, and they tried the opposite. Okay? So it's just this interesting uh, historical... When you, when, you, when you see and you read about the history of the Assyrians, you read about the, the history of... Nebuchadnezzar, you read about the the history of these coming empires, you realize that they all had to make decisions about what they were going to do, how they were going to try to keep control over these humongous amounts of land when it's not easy to keep control even over one house, right? You, you, You throw six kids in and all of a sudden it's mayhem and you're not in control. Now think about Six cities, six countries. It gets complicated fast. And so Assyria had this policy of moving everybody around. And so the the Israelites got moved out. We already saw that. And this is where uh, there's, there's a few of them left, but not many. And then all these other groups of people from different places get moved in. And what happens? Kids, did you, did you notice what happened? It's kind of a exciting story at the beginning. What happened? Any of you younger kids? Did you notice what happened to the people when they first got there? All right, you older kids can answer. Wait. Oh, Arthur's got the... Arthur! I don't think so. What? Fire? Close. I mean, you're... It's exciting. I'll, I'll grant you that. What? Wait. Lions! It's close to fire, really. <laughs> Lions? Yikes. My family went to the zoo this week without me. 
That's normal. Uh, every once in a while I get to go too. It's fun. But, uh, you know, the uh, old lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my, right? So, so this was not lions, but uh, two times ago the lions were roaring. This time the tiger was pacing. And Peter was in his stroller and Heidi pushes him up and he hops out to walk up to the... And here comes a tiger. Right back into that stroller. <laughs> On second thought. Lions and tigers and bears are scary when you actually stop to think about it. And they were killing people in the land. They weren't just lions, but they were lions killing people in the land of Samaria, these new people that had been brought in. And so, what do they do? They send a message, and this is just funny, because like, what message, would, what, what message would you send into who? You know, it's like, call Batman, call the Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call when there's lions? I mean, we'd call, we'd, who are you going to call? Call on God. That's a, good, that's a good answer. That's a really good answer. I think that, that if we were facing lions, we would call for someone who had a gun. Right? Isn't that, I mean, today what we would do, we would call animal control and say, hey, there's, there's lions in the woods. Let's get this taken care of. But, but they, don't, they don't write and say, hey, we need, we need soldiers to come. We need hunters to come and kill the lions. They send a strange message. They send a strange message they send a message to the king, and they don't ask for soldiers. They say uh, that the nations whom you've carried away into exile in the cities of Samaria do not know the custom of the God of the land, so he has sent lions among them, and behold, they kill them because they do not know the custom of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Take there one of the priests whom you carried away into exile, and let him go and live there, and let him teach them the custom of the God of the land. So they decide that the answer is a religious answer. That's odd to us. And I think we just need to start out by recognizing how odd that is, because we are a very unspiritual land. We would think of guns as the answer. Very physical. Not spiritual, right? But they look at it and they're like, what's going on here? There's a spiritual thing going on here. There's a spiritual thing going on. We recognize that we are living in a land and a land has a God and we don't know anything about this God because we just got implanted into it. We just got transferred and so it's like going into a new office or getting a new job. You show up and you don't know anything and you've got to learn the important stuff. What are, the, what are the politics of the office so that I don't step in it, right? What are the, who are the people that I need to ignore and who are the people I need to pay attention to? And So they're 
looking at life, understanding that it is religious and that there's some religious elements that they don't know about this new place and that they have to learn them. I just think that that's really foreign to us. But have you thought about going into a new city and not just looking at the architecture and not just looking at the, uh, not just looking at the um, cleanliness or lack thereof of the streets, not just looking at the people and the way they dress, but have you thought about evaluating the city that you're visiting or that you moved to or something according to any religious terms? Some cities are spiritually dark. And when you begin to find out more about them, you realize part of, part of why they feel spiritually dark. If you have spiritual eyes to see. Various things. You know, when, when people have given themselves over to certain sins, those sins have an impact and they, they have a bearing on what people look like and how they dress. And so actually, as you begin to look around, you can, you can evaluate the spiritual nature of a land. This is... Uh, it, it almost sounds... Uh, it almost sounds superstitious for us to talk this way today. Of a, a land having a God. As though that's a real thing. But it's not... Oh, sorry, that's not mine. My next page said pastoral prayer. This is, this is not my sermon. Okay. Superstitious. But interestingly, God speaks of the land and the nation as one and as having gods. The gods of the nations who I cast out before you. Right? The nations have certain gods and you're not to worship them. You're to worship me alone is what he says. And so, as he casts out those people, it must be that the gods are cast out with them. Here, these people don't think that way. They think, in a superstitious way, yes, right? That, just like we saw earlier in, in the book of Kings, that you know, there's, this was probably a god of the hills. And, and that's why we lost, because we were fighting them in the hills. And let's go fight on the plains next time. Because the god of the hills isn't going to have any power in the plains. So we'll have our next battle there. And God demonstrates, no, I am god of the land. I am god of all the land. I'm the only true god. Right? That's what he does here. By sending lions... He is declaring to all of the nations, those that have been transplanted, those that have been removed, the, the Israelites that, that had been unfaithful, right? And 
to the conquering Assyrians that had been doing, controlling all of this, that he is the one that's in control of the land of Samaria. Not the Assyrians, not the Israelites, not the various other nations that had come in there, right? Men from Babylon, from Kutha, from Ava, from Hamath, and Sepharvaim. No. None of those men, none of their gods are in control. God alone is God, and he demonstrates it by sending lions. So this is a message that everybody can understand because they know that a, that a land has a God. They know a land has a God. And this God of this land is displeased. You can tell. Because he sent lions and they're killing us. It's pretty obvious to them. And because that's the way they think, God has been merciful by sending lions in a message that everybody can get. These people don't know anything about Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. And yet they know he's acting. Isn't that interesting? They can tell. His message is clear. Because he has lowered himself to give a message in a, in a form and a way that they can understand. Lions. It's a pretty bold, loud message. So how do they solve this problem? They send and get a priest, right? This priest, one priest comes and, and you've got to remember, we're talking about Israel, we're not talking about Judah. So when we say one priest, we're talking about one priest who's not one of the true priests, not of the correct tribe, not one who taught them to worship in the temple, but somebody who was serving as priest in the worship, the false worship of the golden calves that got them kicked out of the land in the first place. That's important, right? We're not talking about a priest that's going to teach them truly about Yahweh. We're talking about a priest that's going to teach them heresy about Yahweh. About Yahweh, yes, but it's going to be a heresy, a heretical form. And this is why Samaria and the Samaritans are still in religious conflict with the Jews centuries later when Jesus goes to the woman at the well and she says, now there's this conflict. Your people say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem and my people say this, that, and the other. And, and Jesus says... Yeah, you guys are totally wrong. But that doesn't matter for now. Let's move on with the conversation. <laughs> this is why the people of Judah are disgusted with the Samaritans all those centuries later. Because they don't, because they're heretics. They don't know the first thing about the true God.
if nations have gods, and Yahweh is the God of Israel, and yet it's a, her- it's a heretical form, they send a priest who's a heretic, and he teaches them about Yahweh, and then God takes the lions away. That's confusing, right? Because, I mean, nothing's been fixed. In fact, as you go through the rest of the chapter and you realize they're, they're worshiping God and they're sacrificing their children to a dromalek and a, a, a monolith. What is the other one? I always forget these. A dromalek and an amalek? What verse is it? I can't find it. 31. Thank you. Anomalek, yes. What in the world? They're, they're fearing God and they're not fearing God. And this is the problem. This is the, this is the ultimate problem with this passage. What is going on when God sends lions? That's clear. He's demonstrating, hey, I'm still God of this land. I'm still in authority. I'm still in control. But then, when he takes the lions away, when they begin to worship him in false ways and continue to worship idols, the same as the Israelites had done, what's going on? A couple of things are going on. First of all, The, the even, even this level of fear of the Lord condemns Israel. The people of Israel had no fear of the Lord. Their Lord, the God of this land, the one who had brought them out of Egypt, right? You get to the end of the passage, and that's what it goes and talks about. <clears throat> Verse 36, the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear and to him you shall bow yourselves down and to him you shall sacrifice. And yet they didn't. They didn't. And so even this heretical form of worship, syncretistic. You guys know the word syncretistic? It's where you mix two religions together, bring in the bits and pieces of one into the other. Even this syncretistic worship of multiple gods condemns the Israelites who were taken away. Scripture is full of examples of God demonstrating to the watching world and to His people that He is God. Sometimes people receive the message and repent. Sometimes they, they, they receive the message and they repent. Other times, they receive the message and they reject it. No, we're not going to repent. We're not going to follow the Lord, Right? And other times, they 
receive the message, understand it, but don't really repent. They kind of repent. And that's what we've got here. We've got, okay, God is God. Yeah, we'll give him some, some of what's due him, as long as we can also keep doing what we want to do. As long as we can keep worshiping the gods that we've been worshiping, that, or that we find most attractive, then yeah, we'll, uh, we'll also worship him. So, what would repentance look like here? If this people, the Samaritans, had been the good guys in the story by the time Jesus came along. That would have been remarkable. The Samaritans had, if they had truly repented, it would have meant turning away completely from their gods and not trying to worship both their own gods and Yahweh, the God of Israel. Right? I mean, it's simple. You worship only the true God if you want to repent of worshiping false gods. But they don't become God's people. The Samaritans are not God's people. The Jews are brought back from captivity after 70 years. We'll read more about that later, right? But the Israelites, the land of Israel is never anything besides filled with this heretical form of a worship of Yahweh mixed up with all kinds of other worship of other false gods, including all of the terrible, terrible practices and sins that come with that kind of worship that horrify us, like child sacrifice. They don't become God's people because they are content with getting rid of the lions. They don't want to be God's people. They just want the lions gone. Now I ask you, are you content with the lions gone? Or do you want to be serving God? It's great having the lions gone, right? I'm not saying we want the lions. We want the lions gone. We don't want to be eaten by lions, right? But do you want God as your only God? Do you fear Him and Him alone? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how cars have a purpose. They're for driving, you know. And looking at them doesn't just quite accomplish the purpose. So, um, think about fruit. Fruit has a purpose, right? And again, it's pretty, same as a car. But what you want to be able to do with it is What do you want to do? Eat it. 
Exactly. You want to be able to eat it. Okay, so picture a fruit bowl. Have you ever seen a fruit bowl that looked like all of the fruit was remarkably ripe and perfect and ready to eat? You've seen one of those? Yeah. Was it real or was it fake? It was real. Yeah, I've seen some that are real and I've seen others that look like that. Ah, they fooled me. It was fake. It was styrofoam or plastic or something, you know, well-painted and perfectly shaped, well-formed and all the right colors, beautiful, beautiful fruit, but never going to be able to eat it. Now imagine that you have somebody into your home and it's getting to be about dinner time and so you bring over the fruit bowl and set it down in front of them. Does it matter whether it's real or not? It matters, doesn't it? Because they might actually want to eat some. Are you content with just the fake fruit? Are you content with just the appearance of having offered them a snack before dinner? Or do you want to actually have been able to offer them a snack? Right? Or maybe you want to appear as though you're rich. And so, the outside of your house is always well cared for. Your vehicles are always washed. You never invite anybody inside your house because there's no furniture. Do you want to have the appearance of being rich or do you want to actually be rich? You, you see, the appearance versus the reality really matters, right? It's an awful lot of work appearing to be rich instead of being rich. And it's awfully silly to have a great big fruit bowl when you're hungry and you can't eat it because it's fake. But the people who come from all the lands come into Samaria and they're content with just the appearance. They're content with the appearance of having worshipped the true God. The lions are gone. That's all we needed. Thanks, we'll take it from here. Today, there are heresies still, like the Samaritan heresy. that have clearly rejected what the Bible teaches about God, and yet they want to call themselves followers of God. This is not something that ended with the Samaritans when Jesus called the Gentiles in. There are still the exact same things going on. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Roman Catholics... And the Muslims are all much like these Samaritans. They claim to fear God, 
They claim his name as worshipers of the one true God of Yahweh. And yet they worship gods that they have made. They integrate elements of worship of the true God as well as elements of false worship and other gods. All together. And what is the outcome? The outcome is an appearance of everything being fine. An appearance of the fruit of worship of the true God. The lions are gone. They're moral people. They have some understanding of the purpose of family and marriage. There's all kinds of good that is enough that the lions are gone, right? And that the appearance of the fruit is very good. But have they repented and worshipped the one true God? And so we're reading this passage and it says they fear God and then it says they don't fear God. Now there's a couple of ways of understanding that. One is that God's an idiot and so are the people who wrote the Bible. That's not the one. That's not going to help us, right? They didn't notice. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I said they fear God and then they don't fear God. I guess I, I got confused. No, no. There's something that's being communicated. There is something that's being communicated here in those contradictory statements. The other way of understanding it is that it is true that they fear God in a manner of speaking. And that God is intentionally pointing out the contradiction to us through the sarcastic, yeah, they fear God and they worship other gods. So they don't fear God. This is so often how we behave. We fear God, but then we don't live in the fear of the Lord. We fear God, and we're only concerned about whether there's lions. We're only concerned with whether the things of this life right now are going okay. As long as I'm safe in this life, I've feared God enough. And if things begin to go poorly, then I will seek the Lord more. I'll fear the Lord more. And you know, it's, it's remarkable. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He doesn't send more lions because he does not love the Samaritans. And so if God sends difficulties in your life to cause you to fear him for real, thank him and fear him. Thank him for his love for you. That he's not content to leave you like the Samaritans. A heretic that fears God but doesn't fear God. Fears God, but only if there's actually lions. And then does whatever is necessary to have the pleasant life in this life. 
What a sad, sad thing to think about. Us, fearing God, but really only caring about this life. Fearing God, but only being afraid that maybe there will be suffering in this life. No concern about the life to come. As long as there's peace in my lifetime, as long as there's no lions, as long as I'm not suffering, as long as there's no death that I have to say goodbye to people, as long as I'm not, then great. I'm content. That's enough fear of God, and I'm going to continue to seek out the pleasures of this life. I'm going to continue to seek out the gods of this nation and all the nations, this melting pot of America. And there are a lot of gods. So do you fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? We're now going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And one of the things that we are warned is that we are to fear the Lord. Right? That there is danger in taking of this meal unworthily. And... There's probably not a single thing that's more unpopular for Christians to say and for pastors to say today than that there's danger in the meal. Among conservative, reformed Christians like us, there's not a single thing that's more offensive to say. There's not a single passage that's, that, is, that we would rather remove than 1 Corinthians 10 that I always read. Why do you always have to read that? Because it's just confusing. You've got to keep examining yourself. And what we already did that. Now, here we are. We read this passage in 2 Kings. And we're given a picture of a people that claims the name of God for the next... Let's see, how far back in... Is this 600? I, I lost track of the dates in my mind. At least six centuries. Okay? For at least the next 600 years after this, they claim the name of God. They claim to be fearing the Lord. They claim to be worshiping Him. And they're not. Generation after generation after generation. They're dying in their sins. Is that not something that happens in the church today? That a church that claims to fear the Lord never warns people that there must be true fear of the Lord. That there must be obedience. Sending people to their grave without a warning. I know of one pastor who recently did that with a man in Canada who was committing suicide with the help of his doctor. Couldn't bring himself to tell the man, you must not. You must fear the Lord instead of fearing the suffering of this life. Right? Would you... Would you be the one that wants to tell him? 
Because I wouldn't want to tell them either. You guys think I'm Superman or something. I don't know. Sometimes you're like, oh, of course you would. Would I? Do we have anything to learn from the Samaritans? The Samaritans have the same temptations that we have. And yet, the message of this meal is that God sent His Son so that we could be forgiven even from our lack of fear of the Lord. Because that's a sin. Even that is forgiven and washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ if we put our faith in Him. And so this is a meal of faith. It is a call to faith. Right? And the only thing you cannot do is hold on to another God while you're holding on to Yahweh. You must turn away as you turn to this meal. If you don't turn away as you turn to Him, right, then yes, you are condemned. The same as the, the Samaritans are condemned by supposedly turning to God. And here, the call is turn. Turn to the one true God. Turn away from the lusts of the flesh. Turn away from the pride of life. Turn away from the gods that you serve. Turn away from thinking about this life only. Turn away from caring only about the lions. Care about the one true God and His holiness. Care about His perfections. Care about His character. Care about what He's called you to. Care about His holiness. And if you find yourself afraid, isn't that precisely what we're supposed to be? Fear the Lord and serve Him alone. Fear the Lord and serve Him alone.